You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. Today, we are starting our Advent series. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you're there, uh, if you can get there, uh, we're going to take a look. The title of this message, week one, is Promised Preeminent Peace. And I'll unpack what those words are, but each of those words directly points us to the Christ child, um, the promised preeminence and peace child. And uh, as I was going through things this week, it was funny because I was like, I really don't have a whole lot of thoughts in this message. I might get a lot of good feedback um, because it's just the word. Um, And that's just going to be enough this season. Um, In a weary, tired world that we live in, sometimes we think that we need something flashy or we need something with glitter or bows. And the truth is that the word of God is enough And so we're going to read a lot of passages, and I want to encourage you to write some of these down to revisit this season as you are tired and weary and worn out and exhausted. Let these verses give you life, because that's what God's word promises to do. So Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, the prophet writes these words hundreds of years before the birth of our king, where he says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever and ever and ever and ever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want to unpack those three terms. Jesus, first of all, was the promised child. That's what Isaiah tells us in verse 6 when he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is born. Is given. See, the coming of Jesus wasn't just foretold in the prophet Isaiah. The coming of Jesus was foretold as early as Eden. If you look back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, we see a foretelling, a prophetic voice declaring that Jesus, a Savior, is coming. Listen to what the author writes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. 
Do you recall that our Savior's head was crushed and his heel was struck when he defeated death once and for all at the cross of Calvary? Amen? See, that was known from the beginning of time that God would save his people, those who would believe in him, that Jesus would come as he was promised. And so you can imagine the delight and the excitement when they found the baby that was promised to them. The many prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus gave hope and determination more than 700 years before it ever happened. It's as if Isaiah is declaring it with certainty. I love that he says a child is born. More than 700 years before it actually happens, Isaiah has the confidence in the faithfulness and the promises of God who is good and faithful and never changes, amen? And we can hold on if we've got to wait for 700 more years, we can declare that Christ is come. He's not coming, he has come, and he is going to come. It's a present anxiousness, anticipation, and determination that we can take to the bank that no matter how long we wait, we can declare like Isaiah did that Jesus is coming again. The promise tells us how. The promise tells us why. The promise tells us who. And the promise tells us where. And I want to unpack that, that this promise that they talked about is very descriptive and detailed. It's not this ambiguous like, well, that could be anybody. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 7, two verses, chapters earlier. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. See, the promise declares how it's going to happen. Through a virgin, the conception, miraculously, the birth of a son who would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Does anyone need to know that today? That God is with us. We see uh, in Isaiah, or Luke, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 30, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You can explain that to your kids later. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love how God's Word from the beginning to the end uses the same language, right? We, we rest in the shadow of the wings of the Most High God. He's the everlasting God. The angel declared to Mary the same promise, that the Holy Spirit would come on her and that the power of God would overshadow her. Just like Mary rested in the shadow of the wings of the God Almighty, you and I can experience that same presence and peace today. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 says this, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph. So we see both parties have this promise given to them. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
See, in that day, Joseph was worried about the perception of what people would think about him, what could happen to him because of the fact that they were pledged to be married and she was pregnant and it wasn't his kid, right? And you can uh, imagine that conversation with family, right? Like, seriously, it wasn't, it's not mine. Um, it'd be an awkward Thanksgiving, right? Um, but, but the truth is Joseph had this fear of what people around him were going to think when he believed in a promise that seemed miraculous and seemed so out of reach from anything that he knew. And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary to be yours, to go home with her, because what is from her is from God. And listen, what we have to take to the world isn't from us, it's from God. Jesus isn't something we offer to the world. It's something that God offers to us and we get to show and share with the world. Luke chapter two, but the angel, these interactions that the angel has The angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The promise is Jesus. Jesus as a child is born a son for us and for everyone. I I think about this excitement that these people would have and I was trying to think about what that would be like. And, and as cliche as it is, can you imagine if we walked uh, out of this room where we're worshiping together today and an angel met us and told us, don't worry, COVID's gone. Can you imagine what that would be like? But listen, there's a much greater sickness that we're avoiding and ignoring in all of this, and that's sin. And that's death that will come on all of us as a result of our rebellion and disobedience of God. So can you imagine what this angel says? I come with great news that today a Savior has come for your sins. The promised child for you, for me. God was interested in his people. God was interested in mankind enough. He promises, uh, his promises tell us that he's made a way for us, a plan, a provision for our good. He has a plan that will satisfy our need and his righteousness, even though it cost him his son. What he predicted and what was predicted hundreds of years before was the pledge and a commitment of a loving God. And the promise has come to pass and we should celebrate and believe in the promise of Christ. In the movie Mary Poppins, uh, a great, I, I love it. There's two kids, you've seen it. If you have Jane and Michael Banks, they jump into bed after the first day uh, with Mary Poppins. And, and Jane says, uh, Mary Poppins, you're never going to leave us, will you? Remember this? Because they're so excited about the presence. You're never going to leave us. And Michael's full of excitement. And he looks at the nanny and says, will you promise to stay if we're good, right? Will you stay if we promise to be good. And Mary looks at the two of them as she tucks them in and says, look, that's a pie crust promise that you can easily make and easily break, right? But listen, God doesn't make promises like that to us. We don't say to God, will you promise to come for us if we're good enough? The Bible says that while we were still sinners in our sin, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, the promised child, the promise maker and the promise keeper, God is faithful, amen? And Jesus is our promise. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is the preeminent child. 
the text says, of, his, or of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When something's preeminent, it just basically means it has the highest ultimate value, highest uh, worth, the highest importance is the most important thing. And Jesus was not only promised, he was also preeminent. There is nothing that holds a higher value. There is nothing that holds more worth or more importance in our lives than the Christ child. Did God empty himself of heaven's glory and gave everything he had to a child who would become a servant to the world? Though Jesus is eternal, he was born. In obscurity, in a manger that smelled like poo, Jesus was rejected by those that he came to save. Jesus is and was the most preeminent and important baby ever born in history. We can look back at baby books and be like, oh, isn't she cute? Oh, isn't he cute? Right? But there has never and never will be a more important baby to anyone in this world. He was born to be the successor to David's throne forever, and he is the king of kings. He was visited and worshipped by the magi who brought him gifts. I read this this week by an author. I couldn't find the author, but I really liked his description of the preeminence of the Christ child. He says, here is a man, listen to this, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was about 30. For three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot... I tried that one, by the way, on my parents. But his Jesus didn't go to college. Anyway, sorry. Um, He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place that he was born. He never did one of the many things that usually accompany someone who experiences greatness. He had no credentials except for himself. 19 long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race. We build our calendar around him. He is the leader of the columns of progress I am far within the mark when I say, the author says, that all of the armies that have ever marched, all of the nations that have ever been built, all of the parliaments that have ever sat, and all of the kings that have ever reigned, if you put them all together, they have not impacted or affected the life of mankind on this earth as powerfully as that one life, Jesus. And because of this, the author says, I give Christ all preeminence and value. Jesus is our most valued, worthy, of the highest importance. Jesus is not our number one priority. Jesus is everything, right? It's not Jesus, family, kids, work. It's Jesus and everything else fits into that. Amen? Jesus is our promise, and he holds a spot of preeminence in our life. And the last thing that Isaiah reminds us is that Jesus is the peace child. It says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government 
and peace there will be no end. What is this peace? Does our world know this peace? Is it a peace in which all of the wars will cease across the world? Is it a peace in which terrorists and muggers and rapists and abortionists and other people will something and cause no disruption? I don't think that's what it means. I think it means something else as we look at God's word. Let's look at these passages where the Bible describes peace. In John 14, 27, John says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This is the words of Jesus. I do not give to you as the world gives. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so it's not a peace that the world understands, the gospel tells us. Paul tells us in Romans 5, therefore, he says, since we have been justified through faith, since Jesus is our promise, since Jesus is preeminent and of the greatest value, and he has justified us through faith in him, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So somehow, in the midst of the salvation that we experience from Jesus, he becomes our peace. When nothing else seems peaceful around us, we hold on to him. Paul also tells us in Philippians, verse 6 through 9, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He then says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then he reminds us again, the God of peace will be with you. It's the way that we fix our mind and our hearts on the things of Christ. And we actually fix our minds on Christ. And then when we put it into practice, God's word tells us that the God of peace, the peace that transcends all understanding, I don't understand it, passes what I can understand. That peace can be yours in Christ Jesus. I'm sure you've been in a situation where someone's world was torn apart and you saw someone that was so peaceful about it. Right, whether it's a, a, a new, the news of, of an illness or of something going on in their lives or the loss of a job and someone just seemed so at peace with what was happening. It's when we fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts on Christ, the promise, the preeminent child, that we can experience true peace. In Luke 2's birth account, it says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. That tells us that not everyone is going to experience it. That not everyone is going to have the peace because not everyone will have the favor of God. But it's a gift that he's given to each one of us, the opportunity to possess and have. It's a peace that issues from within us, a peace because we are reconciled to God, because he has made a way for us, we can have a peace of heart and a peace in our mind and knowing that no matter what happens this Christmas, a son, a savior is given to us. 
and he holds the highest value. There's no amount of armies and soldiers and nations and political parties and money that can be put together to accomplish the power and the value of our King, Jesus. And he will give us his peace, a peace that passes all understanding, that this Christmas, when it's our first Christmas without our parent or without a sibling, or it's our first Christmas not being together with our family, or it's our first Christmas without a job and we had to pull back and scale back, we can have peace in Jesus. There's a story about Nicholas Ridley that I want to close with. In 1555, he was burned at the stake because he was a witness for Jesus. The story says that on the night before he was executed, his brother offered to sit with him in the prison chamber to be an assistant and to be a comfort for his brother on his last night on this side of heaven. The story says that Nicholas declined the offer and said, no thanks. He replied that he wanted to go to bed and have the most peaceful sleep that he's ever had in his life. Because he said he knew the peace of God. And because he knew Jesus, he says he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of Christ to meet his need. And he told his brother, and you can experience that too. That when our world is full of darkness and we know it's coming, and when we feel despair and judgment and upheaval and chaos coming right at us full force, we can today have the best nap ever. We can rest in the promise of Jesus. We can rest in the authority and the value and the lordship of Christ the King. And we can have a peace that passes all understanding, much like Nicholas Ridley had on the night when he was going to go meet his king forever, to know that our hearts and our minds are at peace because we have life in Christ. See, God promised that Jesus would come one time as a baby, but he promises that he's going to come again, but this time as a king. He already came once to bring an atonement for our sin. Friends, he's coming again in judgment. He came to make a way for us, but he's coming to pick us up. And as God's promise did not fail, what Isaiah said happened, a son is given, a king is coming. He will not fail. He will not relent. He promises life to all of us who will put our hope and our faith in him. And so my question this Advent season, as we wait on light, is do you know the light of the world, Jesus? Do you know him? Have you confessed that Christ is king and that he's Lord? Have you been faithful and obedient in baptism to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of your sins? Have you repented of those sins? And have you chosen to walk daily in him, in the newness of life that this child offers us as he goes to the cross to atone for your sins? This child who was promised, who was preeminent, and who brings peace, who grew up, who was crucified, who was buried, and church, he came back. He rose from the dead, and he ascended, and he sits with God the Father now. Amen? He's resurrected, and he's ascended, and he can be the Lord, and he can be the Savior of your life, and you, this Christmas, can have the most peaceful Christmas you've ever had if you'll put your trust and your hope in Jesus There's not a gift that you can get that's better than the gift that you can give, which is by bringing yourself as a gift 
to the Son of God and saying, have my life and make it yours. Give your life to Jesus. Enthrone Christ as the king of your life. Honor him as Lord and sing and rejoice in the promised and preeminent peace child, Jesus. But until then, we wait. But we don't wait like those who have no hope because we know that he's coming again, amen? I want to pray that this Christmas we can experience that promise. We might not get the gift that our parents promised us or that we thought we were going to get. We might not get the gift that has the most value or the one that we thought was the best. But we can be at peace and we can sit and worship Christ who came in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mess, while we were still sinners, Christ came and died that we might have life. And so if you have never experienced that life, I pray, this church leadership prays, for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray that your family who is lost, that your friends who are lost, that this Christmas they would find the light of the world. He's not gonna come in a vaccine. He's gonna come on a white horse in glory and power. And he's gonna fix the biggest pandemic in the history of the world. That's your sin and mine. And so praise be to God who gave up everything and bankrupt heaven that we could have life eternal in Christ Jesus.